It is 800 hours Central African time. Good morning. Welcome to the last hour of Africa Rise and Shine on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We're broadcasting live from Johannesburg in South Africa on frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to west africa that is one five two five five kilohertz on the 19 meter band to west africa you can also find us on 802 on the dstv audio bouquet i am spumalele zondi and i'm with Anne Musa, tabisoli huku and figile lingwati your top stories south africa's highest court to rule on secret ballot case un welcomes deployment of forces to fight terrorism in sahel region refugee solidarity summit gets underway in uganda today in economics, South Africa's credibility on the line with foreign bond investors. And in sports, Kenyan athletes gather in Nairobi for national trials. Yes, and Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Mali has delayed a constitutional referendum due to be held on the 9th of July in the face of heavy political opposition and street protests. The vote was aimed at enshrining elements of a 2015 peace deal into the Charter and establishing a Senate in Parliament. The referendum faced opposition from those who say it gives President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita excessive powers. Mali's former rebel alliance on Tuesday rejected a national reconciliation charter unveiled on the second anniversary of the signing a peace deal with the government. South Africa's Constitutional Court is expected to deliver judgment in the application for a secret ballot to be allowed in Parliament in a motion of no confidence in President Jacob Zuma. The opposition UDM, which is supported by other opposition parties, brought the application. Zuma and National Assembly Speaker Bale Kambete have been cited as the main respondents in the case. Last month, Mbete postponed the no-confidence motion, which was initially scheduled for the 18th of April, to allow the court to hear the UDM's application and make a ruling. UDM's leader, Bantu Holomisa, says they are confident the court will rule in their favour. The United Nations peacekeeping chief Jean-Pierre Lacroix says only a truly inclusive political process can bring peace to war-torn South Sudan. Lacroix addressing the Security Council described the humanitarian crisis in the country as a man-made tragedy and said that credible free or fair elections in South Sudan would not be possible in the current climate. He says a regional protection force to bolster the UN peacekeeping mission around the capital Juba was deploying slowly but surely but that President Silva Kiir's promise to release political prisoners was not materializing. Although the President declared a unilateral ceasefire and launched a national dialogue on 22nd May, it remains to be seen whether these developments will yield any tangible improvement in the security or humanitarian situation on the ground. 
we cannot lose sight of the fact that neither the RTF nor UNMIS is a panacea to this crisis. Only a truly inclusive political process and the genuine political will of the key protagonist to end the conflict and implement the agreement on the resolution of, conf of the conflict in South Sudan will bring peace to this country. The Gambia's Information Minister, Demba Ali Jawu, says he understands the impatience of those who are frustrated by the rate of change since President Adama Baro was elected six months ago. He says it's impossible to improve everything straight away after more than 20 years of rule by the former leader, Yaya Jemeh. Jawu says the exiled Jemeh will not yet be free to return. And finally, the United Nations Children's Agency, UNICEF, has warned that 5 million children in Iraq are in need of urgent humanitarian assistance. UNICEF says the country's children, particularly those in the city of Mosul, are being trapped in endless cycles of violence and poverty. The BBC's Naomi Grimley reports. UNICEF has published some stark statistics about children in the city. It says in the last two months alone, 23 children have been killed in the western part of town. Another 123 have been injured. Half the patients currently being treated in trauma centres in West Mosul are children. More broadly across Iraq, children's lives continue to be disrupted. 800,000, for example, have lost one parent or more. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.06 Central African time. Let's start in South Africa where it's all eyes on the Constitutional Court this morning. The highest court in the land is expected to make a ruling in an application brought by the United Democratic Movement that a secret ballot be allowed during a vote of no confidence debate against President Jacob Zuma. The application is also supported by a number of opposition parties and civil society groupings. Amos Pacho reports.
first one is whether the speaker has a discretion to order a secret ballot in certain cases. Uh, in that case, I think the litigants have uh, quite a strong case, but we'll have to wait and see. The second issue is on whether the court will actually order the speaker to institute a secret ballot. That's quite more invasive, and that sort of treads on the terrain of the parliament, so that's going to be a little bit, that's less likely to happen, but once again, we have to wait and see. The court action is one of many attempts by opposition parties and civil society organizations to remove President Jacob Zuma from office. UTM leader Bantu Olomisa says they are confident that the court will rule in their favor. We are hoping that uh, we will get uh, a judgment in our favor. But uh, even if we lose, we will still be satisfied that at least the Constitutional Court uh, did listen to our case. In some courts, maybe we would have just been rejected. So we are ready to accept whatever. But at least the UTM is proud that uh, it has presented the argument. The sentiments are also echoed by Economic Freedom Fighter spokesperson Mbwisen Ndlozi. We are very much hopeful uh, that uh, the judgment will be positive because um, we think uh, our representations were very cogent, but also we need uh, this particular judgment to be positive so that we are able to remove the corrupt Zuma and his criminal syndicate that are running the South African government. So uh, we have our fingers crossed and uh, we're indeed hopeful that it will be positive. The Democratic Alliance has also expressed optimism ahead of the judgment and indicated that it is ready to proceed with a motion of no confidence debate in Parliament. Last month, Speaker of National Assembly, Balegam Bertem, postponed the no confidence motion initially scheduled for April 18th to allow the Constitutional Court to hear the UDM application and make a ruling. I'm Amos Power in Johannesburg. For the fourth time since his inauguration, Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari flew out of the country on the 7th of May to the UK to continue treatment for an undisclosed ailment. Shortly before he left for the current leg of medical tour to Britain, he missed several state functions, preferring to shift tasks to his deputy, Professor Yemi Osibanjo, Channel Africa's Collins Atohangbe reports from Lagos. With a wild goose chase, Nigerians began to speculate on what could have kept the retired Army General and Nigeria's leader on and off the doctor's table, but coming up with nothing substantial. For some, he has cancer. Others believe that President Buhari is suffering from old age syndrome, and some unconfirmed sources dare to reason that the president was poisoned by an insider acting on behalf of some foreign guidance. Whatever the situation may have been in the past, the most recent declaration by those who think they know him better and have access to the goings on in London says Buhari has suffered speech defect and is unable to speak. This may be true. If his speech at the reception of 82 Chibo girls on May 7, the day he flew out of Nigeria for his medics, is anything to go by. And what's more, it has been alleged that Buhari has not had a telephone conversation with the man he handed the baton to while his treatment lasts. One person who is 
not patient with Buhari and his party over what seems to be a case of ailing and absentee president. His eye of fire shade, the outspoken Ekiti State Governor and Chairman of the Opposition People's Democratic Party Governors Forum. He says Buhari should resign if he has any integrity. We are praying for our president to recover very quickly. Why is he finding it difficult to be morally upright and resign? Knowing the hardship, his redundancy is crossing the economy and the masses. But as usual, officials of Buhari-led administration rose to the defense of their boss and called for ease. The Minister for Information, Lai Mohammed, says the president did not leave anyone in doubt that his return to Nigeria would be determined by his decisions in London. I thought Buhari made it tremendous living that the matter will still be determined by his doctors. And um, the most authentic news we have so far is the one from the wife of the president who came back last week and said president is recovery very fast and I think that's the best you can see now. With Oshiba just standing in as acting president and many pressing issues delaying because of the need for executive orders on them. Aisha Yesufu, a co-founder of the Bring Back Our Guest campaign group says Buhari should throw in the towel and go home to look after himself. When are we going to realize that this acting president thing is just not working out? It's really not working out. Things are stagnating in Nigeria. The president is sick. The president is not capable of discharging his duties as president. Why can't he resign? Sickness can be on anybody. Nobody is wishing the president bad. The fact that he's sick doesn't mean that he's going to die today or tomorrow. Somebody that is as healthy as I am right now can drop dead. It's life. It's not about you, Mr. President. Can you just take some time off? Take care of yourself. Let the president resign. If he can't resign, let the National Assembly do the right thing and let's have another president. For members of the Buhari regime, Aisha's first call sounds like a broken record. Though Lai Mohammed has no direct contact with Buhari, as he says, nor his handlers, he believes that the report of the wife of the president, who is to date the only one believed to have seen her husband during a visit to see the hard job in the UK, can be taken as true. Until proven otherwise, he says he has no reason to doubt the Nigeria First Lady's report. I have no reason to doubt what the one person said. If the one person comes out and says, I saw my husband and my husband is doing very well, I have no reason to doubt her. There is a definite silence over the true situation of Mr. President's health, and no one in the presidency has been able to give any news that could pass the litmus test on Muhammad Buhari. Or perhaps they have information, but the official oath of secrecy is what is playing out in this game of less weight. For the obvious. Will the president return hail and hearty, or will it be a case of national flag flying half mast? Only President Buhari's physicians can confirm that. But from Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins at for Channel African News. 8.15 Central African Time, the United Nations Security Council has unanimously passed a resolution welcoming the AU-backed G5 Joint Force to combat transnational crime and terrorism in the vast Sahel region. Countries in the region that include Mali, Niger, Chad, Burkina Faso and Mauritania have proposed the establishment of specialized units. These will be deployed in areas where jihadist groups are known to operate with a greater emphasis on cross-border activities and transnational crime. Sean Bryce Peace reports from New York. Consensus in the Council, the French authored resolution providing international support to the African force.
respects a landmark resolution. Why? Because, first of all, for the first time, in this scale, the Security Council will bring a strong and decisive support to the mobilization of our African partners in the fight against terrorism, in this case, in supporting the G5 side force. So this is, in this respect, a very important resolution. The original draft was changed during the negotiating process to accommodate United States concerns over UN funding for the force. Language in the text changed from authorizing the force to use all necessary means to carry out its operations to now merely welcoming the deployment in the draft just adopted. The European Union has already committed 50 million euros towards the force. Make no mistake about it, with this text, we open a new chapter in our partnership with Africa. We open a new chapter in the strategic partnership that we want to promote with the Security Council and we French in particular in our relationship with Africa with respect to peace and security. So there is a strong dynamics, a strong momentum that will come out of this resolution and you can count on France with our partners, of course, to feed this momentum in the coming months. Mali's ambassador Issa Konfuru welcomed and thanked the Council for its support. The creation of this joint force therefore participates in the shared will of our heads of state to pool their efforts and their means to effectively fight terrorism, organized crime, and trafficking in persons, which nowadays is a true threat to international and regional peace and security. The force is expected to support the UN peacekeeping mission in Mali that has struggled to maintain the peace and protection of civilians in the face of asymmetric attacks in the region. It is called to put an end to criminal activities along the borders of the member countries of the G5 Sahel. The G5 Sahel Joint Force is also going to contribute to creating the conditions, making it possible for MINUSMA to fully carry out its mandate. It will also create an environment which will foster the proper implementation of the Agreement for Peace and Reconciliation in Mali, which uh, was born of the Algiers process, and to the carrying out of structural projects of the Priority Investment Program of G5 Sahel. While supporting the force, West African states are responsible for ensuring that troops have adequate resources and not the United Nations. I'm Sherman Price Pierce in New York. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I'm Kumba Mujere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Shana Wenba Mwese. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia. Channel Africa.
Find us on Twitter and engage us on any information that you hear right here on Channel Africa. You can also share your views and your thoughts. And if you see something happening in your region that you think we should be covering, let us know as well. That is Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. Now Uganda is hosting a solidarity summit with the support of the United Nations amid a fast-growing refugee crisis in the country. A mass exodus from South Sudan has roughly doubled the refugee population in the East Africa nation to over 1.2 million. Some 30 heads of state and international donors will take part in the summit, which opens today and aims to raise 2 billion US dollars to meet the humanitarian needs of refugees and support host communities. Jocelyn Sambira is in Uganda. A bright green coach carrying refugees from South Sudan has just pulled into the reception center at the Mvebi camp in northern Uganda's Arua district. Children press their faces against the window of the vehicle that is covered in stickers and graffiti. The driver steps out, leaving two young aid workers with red vests inside. One of them is holding a clipboard, while the other is handing out tickets to the passengers. As their names are called out, the passengers leave the bus one by one. The majority are women and children, as well as the elderly. The newcomers make their way towards a makeshift sink where they wash their hands before they begin the registration process. The first stop is at a tent run by UN partner organization Doctors Without Borders, known by its French acronym MSF, where the refugees receive vaccinations, malnutrition screenings, and primary health care. Mario Pangi, a young woman from Ye Town in South Sudan is first in line. She was nine months pregnant when she fled and gave birth after arriving at the Ugandan border. Osman Shabani, the MSF medical team leader, explains the process as a nurse administers a drop of polio vaccine to Mary's baby. The population fleeing to Uganda is expected to grow as violence and insecurity spreads in Africa's newest nation. The daily arrivals are putting a huge strain on the already meager resources available. Nvepi Camp alone is hosting 120,000 refugees, says U.A. Mong, UNHCR field officer. I think the biggest challenge is uh, if you see the torrent, uh, one of the scarcities of water, where we need the water supply. If you see the 100,000, we need a huge number of the water supply every day. If we consider only the 40 liter per person per day, so we need to have a huge 
quantity of water supply of feeding. So that's one of the key areas. And now is a rainy season and dry season is coming. What we provide the shelter is only for the emergency shelter. So we expect the shelter will be the another priority for the next. In Vepi camp opened in February this year and is already filling up. Furthermore, the newly arriving refugees depend entirely on food assistance. The current funding doesn't cover the vast needs the UN office in Uganda underscores, and there's a risk that food rations might get cut. Uganda's already opened its door to refugees from Sudan, Rwanda, Burundi, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and Somalia. With an average of 2,000 new arrivals each day, the country needs urgent and robust support to deal with the refugee crisis. The Solidarity Summit, hosted by Uganda, opens on Thursday and hopes to raise $2 billion during the two-day conference. In addition to its traditional donors, the country is also reaching out to new partners from the Middle East, Africa, and Far East. Jocelyn Sambira, United Nations. Emergency directors of both the World Food Programme and the Food and Agriculture Organization are in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Their visit aims to try and develop joint strategies to provide aid to 6 million people facing food insecurity in the country. Jean-Noel Bamwenze reports from Kinshasa. The Democratic Republic of Congo is facing several humanitarian emergency situations these days and a complex crisis has been going on since two decades now. Violence and insecurity in the Kasai region have come to worsen the humanitarian situation after more than 1.5 million people have been forced out of their homes, bringing to more than 3.7 million the number of internally displaced people in this country. The United Nations are then concerned about the situation and that's the reason why emergency directors of both the World Food Programme and the Food and Agriculture Organization are visiting the country. The trip takes Dominique Bourdieu and Dennis Brown to Goma in the North Kivu province, Kalemia in the Tanganyika province, Chikapa in the Kasai and Karanga in the central Kasai. Florence Marshall is the communication coordinator of the United Nations system here in the DRC. The directors of emergencies of the main UN agency dealing with food security and agriculture, FAO and WFP, are visiting DRC these days. They will travel in several places in RDC just to assess the situation and to be able to propose a common strategy in order to provide support and assistance to people in need and, if possible, to provide sustainable solutions and long-term solutions. And uh, the second thing is to raise international community awareness on the necessity to give money for the DRC. Because of time being, it's very difficult. The annual humanitarian uh, action plan is funded around 20%, so which is very low because we are already end of June, almost the half of the year. So it's the reason why we have this visit, because uh, we want to draw people's attention on the need to fund projects and to give money in order to uh, provide assistance to people in need. Among the people in need of assistance are those suffering from malnutrition. The communication coordinator of the UN system has described the situation as a challenging one. Almost 2 million children suffering from deep and severe malnutrition. 
The humanitarian situation is very concerning, and the figures are gloomy and depressing, according to the communication coordinator, Flores Marshall. The latest uh, figures we have regarding malnutrition are really very gloomy and somehow depressing. It's really a major challenge uh, that the DRC would have to face in the coming weeks. As of today, 3.5 million of children are affected by malnutrition, and out of them, almost 2 million are suffering from really deep and severe malnutrition. And it's really very concerning because, as you know, the soil in the DRC is very good. Our colleagues from uh, WFP and from uh, FAO have already explained to us that DRC alone could feed all Africa if all the resources could be uh, properly exploited. For instance, in the uh, Ituri province, according to the latest uh, report from the National Program of uh, Nutrition, more than 400,000 children are suffering from malnutrition. Poverty is at the heart of the issue because the parents of the children cannot afford buying proper food for their children. So this is one thing. Another thing is that we witness a lot of displacement of population and uh, if you are displaced, you don't stay in your neighborhood, so you don't have access anymore to your fields, you cannot anymore produce food. It's something that is really very concerning. And indeed, it's thousands of people who are threatened by the different crises of the in the Democratic Republic of Congo. If nothing is done on time, the humanitarian situation will continue to deteriorate and things will get worse and worse again. Channel Africa Kinshasa, 8.30 Central African Time, here's Anne Musa. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musa. The headlines, Mali delays a constitutional referendum due to be held on the 9th of July in the face of heavy political opposition and street protests. South Africa's constitutional court is expected to deliver judgment in the application for a secret ballot to be allowed in Parliament in a motion of no confidence in President Jacob Zuma. And the United Nations peacekeeping chief says only a truly inclusive political process can bring peace to war-torn. South Sudan. Those are the stories making headlines. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a better day. It is 8.31 Central African Time and you can find us on Twitter on Channel Africa 1 or send us emails info at channelafrica.co.za. My name is Spomele Lezondi and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. The Chinese government has donated 5 million US dollars to the United Nations World Food Program or WFP to buy food to feed more than a quarter of a million hungry people in South Sudan. Channel Africa's James Shimanyula tells us more. More than a quarter of a 
million hungry people have cause to be happy in various parts of the famine-stricken South Sudan, Africa's newest nation. Extreme hunger has been sweeping across villages where the Sudanese people live as international aid agencies struggle day and night to ensure that at least many families get the much-needed food. Three years of fighting coupled with the acute famine have left the people of that country without food. The usual seasonal rain has failed to come and farms have remained dry and unsuitable for planting crops. But now, in addition to food supplied by international aid agencies, the Chinese government has just donated $5 million to the World Food Program to enable the agency buy food for the hungry in South Sudan. Peter Kulani Gatwich, Undersecretary in South Sudan's Ministry of Humanitarian Affairs, blames failure of rain for the current acute famine situation in the country. Conflicts and the erratic weather are the main grievances of acute food insecurity, compounded by economic slowdown, resulting in devastating effects on livelihood and nutrition situation across the country. In most conflict-affected areas, humanitarian assistance has become people's main source of food, and it has become difficult to meet their needs. World Food Program Deputy Country Director for South Sudan, Joyce Luma, had saluted the Chinese government for the donation, which she said was timely, and the very donation that will help purchase food to feed the country's hungry people. At the peak of the lean season this year, we will have 5.5 million people who do not know where the next meal comes from. Parts of the country is facing famine. This year, we have seen the highest levels of acute malnutrition and hunger in these countries. A large number of hungry South Sudanese live in remote areas where there are no roads and if roads exist there, they are impossible. But the United Nations World Food Program Country Director for South Sudan, Joyce Luma, says her agency will ensure that food is distributed extensively. WFP has an extensive network of supply chain employing road, air and river transport to provide assistance to people in the remotest parts of the country. This year, WFP plans to provide assistance to 4.1 million people facing acute hunger and those facing famine. He Chandong, the Chinese ambassador to South Sudan, flashed back to 1949 when China faced severe famine and said his country has passed through hunger, hence the donation it has given to the World Food Program to buy food for the hungry in South Sudan. We feel the pain of the South Sudanese people in our heart. And I would like to say that uh, this package of help, that is the uh, 2,400 metric tons of Sudan, is only a portion of the uh, gift from the Chinese government and Chinese people to South Sudan this year. And in the remaining of the year, in uh, July and afterwards, there will be more than uh, 8,000 metric tons of rice coming in. That was China's ambassador to South Sudan, He Chandong. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shemanyula. 
The Zimbabwean government, together with the UNHCR and other UN agencies, has launched an interagency refugee appeal for 11 million US dollars. This is to address the influx of Mozambican refugees. The appeal seeks to raise resources for the most urgent unmet needs for Mozambican asylum seekers. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. Is the population of Mozambican asylum seekers continues to swell in the eastern province in Zimbabwe. United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, UNHCR, and other UN agencies on Wednesday appealed for nearly 11 million US dollars. The appeal covering June to December 2017 is aimed at supporting efforts by the Zimbabwean government and UN agencies in providing protection to the Mozambican refugees, mainly the Tungogara refugee camp. A few months ago, an assessment visit by government officials revealed UNHCR had limited resources and failed to deal with the high influx of Mozambicans into Zimbabwe. Currently, Zimbabwe was nearly 17,500 persons, with some 11,000 being refugees in Togogara refugee camp near the eastern border with Mozambique. The camp is mainly refugees from DRC, Burundi, Rwanda, Mozambique, and the one of Africa. But the influence of Mozambicans is said to be stretching their valuable resources meant to offer housing, education, health services, and protection. The challenges at Tongogara camp were further compounded this year with floods as they appeal for the next six months on behalf of the UN resident coordinator, UNICEF country representative, Mahomad Ayoyasi. Existing resources were used to assist over 7,500 Mozambican asylum seekers. Some 1,000 are currently in Tongogara refugee camps, while approximately 6,500 are living in 88 villages in Chipinge. The appeal calls for partners to renew their commitment to the vulnerable Mozambicans who have fled conflict and are currently supported by those communities who themselves actually have. Therefore, additional resources are evidently required for the governments and humanitarian partners to scale up protection, health, nutrition, and other solutions for the refugees and asylum seekers in Zimbabwe. According to the Minister of State in the Vice President's Office, Clifford Sibanda, government is hoping the appeal would allow increased funding. Zimbabwe commended the role played 
by Zimbabwe. We all need to acknowledge that even refugees have potential positive benefits they bring to the host countries, including various skills. Although the civil unrest in Mozambique has subsided, Dean of Diplomats in Zimbabwe, as well as DRC Ambassador to Zimbabwe, Mawampanga Mwananga, it is to say on the return of Mozambicans back to their home. This is the, the biggest problem, is that we think that when a refugee comes, it's a pressure. It is not. Let me give an example. You have a rural home, don't you? In a rural home, there may be a problem. Maybe a child was looking for uh, a place to go to school, they come to your home. Is that child a burden? Not necessarily. Because when that child comes, if you give him the shelter, who knows? Maybe that child will become the next Obama original. Okay? So it's time that we Africans use our Ubuntu, our human humanity, the way we value human life, not to always treat those coming across as burden, but it's just people like you and me who can also participate in the development of our communities. Reporting for China Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemo. The Aeropedication Trust's top final year achiever for 2016 in South Africa, Comfort Matlakala, recently visited the University of Cambridge in the United Kingdom to take part in the interdisciplinary design for the Built Environment Program. The theme of the week was climate change, sustainability and resilience and included a number of lectures by academics and industry specialists. To find out more on this, Wandile Kalipa spoke to Comfort Matlakala, an honor student in construction management at Wits University in Johannesburg. It's basically a master's program with Cambridge where they have different professionals within the work environment to come together and work on a variety of projects. And in the end, it still has to meet the same master's requirements in terms of they have to
That is Comforts Matlakala in conversation there with Wandile Khalipa. It's time for Economic News. Here's Sabisele Hoko. Thanks, Sipumilele. Zimbabwe's bond notes, which trade at par with the U.S. dollar, have managed to ease liquidity shortages but will be unable to address the country's macroeconomic imbalances, while further issuance of the currency will inflame inflationary pressures. This is the view of the World Bank, which said on Wednesday that government debt to the banking sector has increased since 2015. This has now been partly blamed for the protracted financial crisis that has limited credit to the economy. The Amalgamated Bank of Southern Africa says its decision to take on review. Public protector Wususu Mkwebane's report is not about the 77 million U.S. dollars in interest that she has ordered it to pay back, but because the report is irrational and inaccurate. APSA says Mkwebane ignored important findings from a previous investigation. The South African Reserve Bank is also planning to challenge Mkwebane's report while the Finance Department is still weighing its position. Absa spokesperson Sonia Zuzibi. The British government is setting aside funding over the next three years to reduce the number of migrants crossing the Mediterranean from Africa to reach Europe. In 2016, over 180,000 migrants arrived in Italy via this route, a figure that's expected to rise this year. In total, more than a million migrants arrived in Europe last year, many of them fleeing conflicts in the Middle East. The BBC's James Landale reports. The money from Britain's foreign aid budget pay for migrants to get home, support the resettlement of refugees in the region, and help African countries tackle people smuggling. It will also provide food, water, and medical care for those who need it. 
The British government's aim is to try to show that its aid budget is not just helping the vulnerable, it's also serving the UK national interest. But long-term solutions to the migration crisis, such as peace in Libya and more economic growth in Central Africa, still look a long way off. Roads leading to Côte d'Ivoire's major cocoa part of San Pedro have reopened after a week-long closure caused by heavy rains. San Pedro, the West African country's second-largest port, is located in the southwest near the main cocoa-growing regions, and most of the cocoa beans are expected from it. Exporters said last week that the roads and bridges that connect Grabo, Para, Dabo, Grand Baraby in the far southwest to San Pedro had all been cut, as was a bridge linking the port to the cocoa centers of Sobre. Daloa and Duegue. Heavy rains have caused havoc across Cote d'Ivoire in recent weeks, flooding roads, destroying homes and causing 15 deaths this month. The US dollar trades at 13.6 in South Africa, 10.19 in Botswana, 9.18 in Zambia, 7.9 in Britain, 8.9 to the euro, gold $1,252, platinum $927 an ounce, brand crude $44.77 a barrel. Africa rise and shine. Thank you very much, Tabi. So it is time for Sports News. Yes, really. In our sports update, this hour we begin with football news. Kev Champions League champions Mamelodi Sundowns secured a point in Tunisia as they played to a goalless draw with Esperance last night. The home side enjoyed most of the position in the opening 15 minutes and looked threatening down the flanks, although they failed to create a clear-cut chance. Sundowns eventually started seeing a bit of the ball after 20 minutes, but they failed to threaten the, in the final third. Esperance upped the tempo in the closing stages as they pushed for a winning and they went close to scoring in 88th minute. But Onyango produced a good save to deny the host a goal. Nevertheless, Sundowns managed to hold out till the final whistle to claim a point on the road. Portugal claimed their first victory at the FIFA Confederations Cup 2017 after defeating Russia 1-0 in front of a crowd of 42,000 people in Moscow. Cristiano Ronaldo's early header was enough to give the European champions all three points at the Spartak Stadium, despite their best efforts, particularly in the second half. The tournament hosts could not find a way past Portugal goalkeeper Rui Patricio in the Group A encounter. Meanwhile, Portugal supporters were not concerned about the tax fraud case that had been opened against Ronaldo by Spanish authorities. The Real Madrid striker is said to be ready to pay the authorities the staggering 14.7 million euros ahead of a court hearing next month. And in athletics, Kenya's reigning athletes and the Athletics World Champions face a tough challenge from a crop of young runners as the country prepares to choose a team to defend their title in London. Athletes will gather in Nairobi on Friday and Saturday for national trials ahead of the August World Athletics Championships two years after Kenya's victory in Beijing with 16 medals including seven goals. While Kenya's track team has been known to pick for the big occasion as evidence in Beijing, a shake-up among the team, race fatigue and ongoing concerns over doping will loom large over the trials. 
Reigning world champions Ezekiel Kemboi, Asbel Kiprop, and David Rudisha are hoping to make the team, but have struggled to hold up against a new crop of Kenyan runners this season. Tennis news, Richard Gasquet defeated Australia's Bernard Tomic at Haley in Germany last night. Tomic was coming off the back of an impressive victory against Tommy Haas, but Gasquet broke in the very first game. The Frenchman controlled the rest of the match and won 6-3 and 6-3 to go through into the quarterfinals. Gasquet will be joined by Robert Batusta Agut, who defeated Germany's Dustin Brown in a hard-fought match. Batusta Agut won the first set before Brown fought back to dominate the second set 6-1. The match came down to a tie break in the third, which Spain at Batusta Agut won the Brown in and hit a forehand long. And now with golf news, PGA stars Rory McElroy and Jordan Spieth are hoping to improve on their disappointing results at the US Open last week and admitted that they were a bit overwhelmed by the course at Erin Hills. McElroy told reporters that he needed a bit more practice and would have liked to have shaken off the rust elsewhere instead of returning to golf at a big US open venue. That's a sport news this hour. Let us recap our top stories right here on Africa Rise and Shine this morning. South Africa's highest court to rule on a secret ballot case. UN welcomes deployment to, to of force to fight terrorism in the Sahel region. Refugee solidarity assignment gets underway in Uganda. In economics, South Africa's credibility on the line with foreign bond investors. And in sport, Kenyan athletes gather in Nairobi for national trials. And that wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for today. For myself, it's Pumelele Zondi. Producers Pumutora Makata and Jane Obotata, Tenkal Producer, Sfiso Mashekho and the rest of the team, thank you very much for listening. Please send us emails. We are on info at channelafrica.co.za That is info at at channelafrica.co.za on SMS you can find us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero you can also send us tweets we are on Rise Shine Africa or Channel Africa One we leave you with Musa Manzini's Blue Bass. <laughs> <laughs>